With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Using science to debunk myths from the pandemic to climate fraud. Thanks for listening to Sky Dragon Slaying on TNT Radio. Hi, welcome back. Um, I'm John O'Sullivan, CEO of Principia Scientific International, as usual. I've got Joe Posma, Joe Posma with me. He's a Canadian astrophysicist. Um, one of the things we've been doing over the past four years, continually, at Principia Scientific, is exposing the lies about COVID-19 and uh, many, many heroic figures in the world of medicine and science have come out and, and risked their careers and done so much to, to bring truth to, to the masses. And uh, one of them is Dr. Pierre Corey. Uh, Dr. Pierre Corey is an American critical care physician. Uh, he gained uh, prominence during the pandemic for advocating widespread off-label use of certain drugs as treatments for COVID-19. He's president and co-founder of the Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance. Uh, he's testified twice to the US Senate regarding COVID-19. Uh, he actually left the medical industry due to some of the things he learned. And he's spoken out on the immense amount of control and consolidation in the biomedical industrial complex. Uh, he's actually author of an important book. Uh, it's the best-selling book, War on Ivermectin, The Medicine That Saved Millions and Could Have Ended the Pandemic. Uh, hi, Pierre. Such a pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, definitely. Thanks. Uh, pleasure to be here. Yeah, we um, you know, we published your work along alongside other many other doctors, and and it really is incredible that literally thousands of medical experts, highly credentialed medical experts, uh, have stood up and risked their careers to argue that the mainstream narrative is built on f false premises. And one of the things that you pointed out along alongside many other doctors is. Like the money, the profit motive is probably driving everything. And uh, alternative treatments that you proposed were very, very cheap, very affordable. But again, it didn't really suit the narrative. And um, one of the things that um, they really got after you for was ivermectin. Ivermectin is, uh, you know, so <laughs> the stuff they said about ivermectin, you know, incredible, not fit for humans. You know, it's only for vets to use, not for doctors. Uh, it, it's such an awful battle you've had to fight. Um, first of all, just give us a flavour of, of, of your journey over the last four years. It's incredible to think it's actually been four years. Yeah, yeah, it has been a journey for sure. Well, my, my journey has been, it's a professional one, an academic one, uh, a political one. You know, I've been transformed in, in a number of different ways uh but you know i i liked i always like to state what i was like before this happened like before COVID happened first of all i was very celebrated in my specialty i was very well known for my work uh, as a pioneer in what was called critical care ultrasonography i'd published a textbook that was in seven languages second edition i was i traveled all around the country teaching doctors how to make life-saving diagnosis using ultrasound and but more importantly is that like I literally believed the New York Times, everything it wrote. I, I, I deified the journals, like the, the most high-impact journals in the world, New England Journal of Medicine, Journal of American Medical Association, Lancet, BMJ. And, you know, I had an implicit faith and trust in, in those institutions and, and the information that they put out. I thought only the best science and the best science uh, scientists were published in those journals. And, um, you know, 
after, you know, I, I started to see things were wrong when I first testified in the U.S. Senate on the use of corticosteroids. You know, I did that in May 2020 when all international and national health care organizations uh, were recommending against its use in the hospital. And I testified and said that it was absolutely critical that it be used. And you know what? In that case, I was proven correct, and it was it became standard of care two months later. Now, that didn't stop me from getting attacked during those two months, um, but then that became standard of care. And then, you know, myself and my group, you know, the FLCCC, we continued to study all the therapeutics. And this is where everything just kind of I, – I, my life was transformed is I testified again in the Senate, and I did it about the critical need to use ivermectin early. And that's when my life went completely sideways. And, um, you know, the attacks came quick. The Associated Press, uh, which is like a huge media, you know, uh, organization here in the United States, they did a hit job on me within two days. Um, I lost my job a day later. Um, it was a mutual departure, but they they basically did not want me to talk publicly at all. And I said, I'm not going to do that. So I had to leave my job. Um and then the, the the attacks continued. A paper that I published uh, reviewing all of the evidence got retracted. So you know, we I started to get the sense that there was something, you know, you couldn't feel it or see it, but there was something big and bad out there that was doing stuff to ivermectin, and uh, it it was highly concerning. Um, and you know, I could go on with that journey around ivermectin because you know, not only after the retraction. I started working with the top researcher in the world who's working for the WHO, a guy named Dr. Andrew Hill. And I know you follow my work. You know the Andrew Hill episode. I mean, he literally was gathering all the evidence for ivermectin for the WHO. And um, we, while working with him, we saw that he was being manipulated. He was allowing people to write his papers, to caution against use. Uh, then they put a muzzle on him. He didn't speak publicly. Uh, and then much later on, he came out against ivermectin. And so, like, I got to see in real time how agency officials get captured and how they can work in the service of, of big pharma. And, and so basically going back to, like, the way I started, by becoming expert on a topic, I suddenly started to see lies, lies coming out with high frequency from all of the areas of society that I've previously trusted. I saw it from all of the high impact medical journals. I saw it from every major media organization. And what my book is about is it really uh, talks about ivermectin. It presents it as a case study in what's called the disinformation playbook. Um, and I know this is a long answer. I'll finish here. But you know, the disinformation playbook is an article written by the Union of Concerned Scientists. You can Google it. It's still there on Google. Um, and in that article, they detail the five main tactics that industries deploy when science emerges that is inconvenient to their interests. And the day that I was sent that article, and I always like to tell the story because it was in March of 21, it was about four months after my testimony. Um, we were up, I was seeing massive fraud and lies and corruption. And I got this email and it was from a professor out in California and it was a two-line email. All he said was, dear Dr. Corey, what they're doing to ivermectin, they've been doing to vitamin D for decades. And he included the link to that article. And when I read that article, it was like my life was transformed. I, I, I mean, my head was exploding. I was like, that's what's going on. This is a massive disinformation campaign because every tactic, they're named after American football plays, like the fake, the fix, the screen, the diversion, the blitz. And I was looking at the examples, the historic examples of when the industries did that, and I could come up with a half a dozen examples in, in regards to ivermectin. And I committed that day 
I, I didn't have a book in mind at that day, but I was like, I am documenting what they're doing. Because I saw immense evil. I saw immense power being uh, exerted to suppress, try to suppress and distort the evidence of efficacy. And I started documenting. And, and later on, someone asked me to write a book. And I was like, I don't know how to write. And uh, <laughs> I don't know how to write a book. I've never written you know, a real book like that before. And and lo and behold, uh, I finally got a little bit of help in writing it, and and I think I turned myself into a writer, and I'm really proud of that book. But it, that book, I want I want people to read. It's not to make money. You don't make very much money off your first book, by the way. So it's not like I'm doing this for uh, you know millions. But I think it's important that people read it so they understand what the tactics are, what how how the forces in the current world today how they operate because they're not just doing this on ivermectin. You know, I wrote the book, The War on Ivermectin. A colleague of mine could have written the book, The War on Hydroxychloroquine. It's the same war, same tactics, same results. They're always going after, like you mentioned, the off-patent, you know, cheap. Uh, in the book, The War on Hydroxychloroquine, it's the same war, same tactics, same results. They're always going after, like you mentioned, the off-patent, you know, cheap, uh, safe, older drugs. You know, Pierre, yeah. there seems to be so much, there was so much, yeah, thank you. There was so much coordination involved with Ooh. this too. I mean, you had you had late night pundits, like these comedy pundits yep. whatever you know what's that fellow well whatever their names are, i don't yeah, watch any of them but yeah, the, yeah. yeah those those late night comedians and they're making fun of ivermectin calling it horse dewormer and making fun of people that would take you know veterinarian products and just all that like it was so well, coordinated so what what I'd kind love, of force is I'd behind love, that I'd, level of coordination yeah i don't i didn't mean to interrupt but i love that you said yeah. coordination because one of the chapters in my book is called the horse dewormer PR campaign. Um, and it was only, I, I had been immersed in seeing all the corruption. I was already writing my book before I finally, it clicked that it was a really highly coordinated PR campaign. And what's really troubling about that coordination, because you keyed on that word, is that in that chapter, I detailed the timeline of events of how that campaign started. And you know what it started with? It started with a memo put out by the Centers for Disease Control. That was done on like August 16, 2021. The FDA tweet, the famous FDA tweet of, you're not a horse, you're not a cow, stop it, y'all. I'm sure you guys have seen that FDA tweet. Yeah. That was two days later. Then uh, uh, a week later, three different professional societies came out and put out an open call for you know cessation of prescribing of ivermectin for COVID-19. So that was three. And then Fauci comes out on national television two days later and he says, there is no clinical evidence that this works at a time at a day when there was 36 controlled trials showing huge benefits. And then following that, you had three weeks of, like you said, media saturation, every late night talk show host, every news broadcaster, every newspaper, horse dewormer, horse dewormer, horse dewormer. And, uh, you know, famously talked about by, you know, with Joe Rogan, when he talked to, um, Who's the doctor? Oh, Sanjay Gupta, you know, the CNN doctor, uh, and who couldn't come up with an answer of why they called it a horse dewormer. And and you're right, they they tried to vilify it and and discredit it as only, you know, and then you saw all these articles like the only people who would use ivermectin are anti-vaxxers, fringe crack, quack, radical, far right. I've been called all of those things. And prior to COVID, I was none of those things. But suddenly my expertise in ivermectin turned me into all of those things. And but that coordination, you're absolutely right. It's shocking. But, you know, what I've come to learn is the powers that control the journals, the pharmaceutical industry, they also control the media. And so they can and they also control our agencies. We all know that our federal agencies are under regulatory capture by the pharmaceutical industry. So they can pull all those strings in sequence 
and get the entire country and if not world to believe things that are not true. Well, we want to come yeah. back to that one, don't we, John? But in the in the just what I wanted to follow up with is uh, given this level of coordination, you know, what was it all designed for? It was all designed for getting people onto the vax as the only solution. So what was the ultimate purpose in doing that? Is it as simple and cynical as corporate profits? Or are they really trying to genetically engineer us or poison us? Like, what's going on? It seems pretty profound what they're trying to do to us. They're putting that much effort into it. Well, yeah. So here's how I think of it. So the easiest answer to come up with and i think there's a few answers to that that question is clearly their objectives were number one uh they had to destroy hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin because it would have threatened the emergency use authorization right you guys know that those emergency use authorizations cannot be issued if there's an effective treatment identified so in order to support this massive global campaign which is a market in over the years now over a hundred billion dollars right? So just that campaign alone, you had to destroy early treatments. So that's one. The second reason is that ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine are competitors to the new pipeline drugs, right? So like Paxlovid, Molnupiravir, um, Remdesivir, monoclonal antibodies. So, I mean, pharma doesn't play. They, they absolutely destroy competition. So, so that was just the financial interest objective, right? Which you had to destroy those for those. Now, it depends how cynical and dark you want to get. Were there other objectives, right? You know, I've heard everything from depopulation to just, you know, getting people afraid and, and you know, uh, you know, getting more control. Because if people knew that there was an effective treatment they could take early, one of the safest medicines, um, I think they wouldn't have put up with a lot of the other stuff, a lot of the other, you know, uh, violations of our civil liberties, you know, the the mandates and and all those things. And so, I think there were a few uh, other objectives, but. Ultimately, whoever's behind pharma doing that, they use pharma because pharma is the most skilled at disinformation. They literally are the most expert practitioners amongst all the industries that use disinformation. And by the way, it's not every corporation that does it. Every industry does it, of which there are select corporations that do disinformation, but coal and gas, uh, agriculture, um, uh, uh, what else am I missing? I mean, it, any number of industries are capable of, of deploying disinformation to serve their interests, but pharma is, they're so skilled at it. And, and I just want to finish by saying, you, you have to understand that the pharmaceutical industry is a documented criminal enterprise. There have been books written by some of the top academics in medicine that put forth all of the evidence to show they they behave like a criminal syndicate. They have caused immense amount of deaths over decades. They've always hidden adverse effects, uh, manipulated and overstated the impacts of their drugs. Uh, they they market illegally constantly, and they've paid billions and billions in fines over the last two decades for for behaving uh, criminally. They've paid criminal fines, and so you know it's it's. It, it really is shocking uh, uh, how much power they have and how kind of depraved their behavior is. I mean, this behavior that we're talking about in my book, the implications are millions and millions and millions of people have died unnecessarily. This is no joke. Yeah, I like to point out to people, um, again, when I get into conversations about being skeptical about Big Pharma, I point out that... Uh, a company like Pfizer, nobody's paid more criminal fines than Pfizer. $2.3 billion, I, I believe the current numbers are. You know, a, a business that can afford to pay $2.3 billion and keep running. Sure, I mean, they're, 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 their way of operating must tell you this is some kind of, 
you know, racket. He's a racket. Um, and I'd like to point out also when people ask me, um, why are you skeptical? I, again, because you pointed out very neatly, it's um, the hard, hard, cold facts of, of doing business at the highest level. Dog eat dog, yep. you know, it, it's cutthroat competition. And we, we've given a few ideas of the motives. And I think one of the motives, obviously, from our point of view that we talk about a lot on our show is, um, you know, the agenda of the elite, the idea that the billionaire class want to have a population control agenda. There's also people in the chain who genuinely do want to make vast amount of money and they do make vast amounts of money. Um, and it is a control thing as well. And ivermectin is astonishing, really, a non-controversial drug, drug before 2019. And, uh, you know, on the World Health Organization's list of approved medicines, you know, proven time and again, very effective in human treatment. Um, as a cynic, the cynic in me says to me that uh, these tweets, these promotions, they're not aimed at you and me. They're aimed at the the kind of underclass, those who are below average intelligence. Uh, half the population really don't have the critical reasoning skills to to do anything other than do as they're told. Mm. And again, that that's why you they had to shut you up because again, you were rocking the boat. Thousands of doctors like you were rocking the boat, and it is such to me it's pathological. It's, it's psychopaths, it's psychopaths that work here. You know, they're they're greed, they're self centered uh, worldview. It's astonishing, and uh, it's something I want to get into in a, in a short while. This is TNT Radio. TNT's Jeremy Nell. Nice comment here from Rebecca. She says, the youngest people um, I work with are a bit more mature, but their interactions with the public is stifled. And she's referring to the excessive use of cell phones and social media and how it's making them so antisocial also. The business is open six days a week. One of his staff members formally requested that they shouldn't, you know, that they, could they be given permission not to have to work on Wednesdays so that they could help at the dog shelter. Now, as you know, I'm a dog lover. I have hunting dogs. I've got dogs coming out of my ears, my Malinois. And this dog, this Malinois, is bright even by Malinois standards. She can do crossword puzzles. Is lying under my desk at the moment feeling sorry for herself because she's just come on heat for the first time and she's completely bewildered. She doesn't know why she's bleeding to death. It's not about whether it's a good or a bad thing to work at animal shelters. That's a delightful thing. It's a noble thing to do. But who in their right minds goes to their boss and says, would you mind? I'd rather not work on Wednesdays if it's okay, because I've got other priorities in a, in a town down the road. Jeremy now on today's News Talk TNT. Chief Division Counsel and DOJ have approved a no-knock breach. We want the subject to be on display, doing the walk of shame, full visual impact. Any questions? Are we becoming a police state? Government told American citizens they couldn't go to church on Sunday. For the first time in my life, I'm saying to myself, am I going to get a knock at the door? FBI warrant, come to the door now! The Patriot Act and FISA were used against Donald Trump. These individuals have commissioned the biggest propaganda play in U.S. history. They don't go after the people that rigged the election. They go after the people that want to find out what the hell happened. We don't need to have a crime. What we need is a person to look at. 
and then we go find out what crime you did. FBI! Our focus is shifting. Our main priority as a bureau is going to be domestic terrorism. It really paints anybody who's right of center. If you're a pro-life, pro-family Catholic, they define you as radical. These are anti-government. We have freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Violent extremists, and they must be dealt with. We can do anything we want. It's time to switch on today's News Talk Radio. Very entertaining. TNT. Hi, welcome back. Uh, it's such a pleasure to have with us Dr. Pierre Corey. Uh, Dr. Corey, he's president and co-founder of the Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance, and uh, he's done amazing work, testified twice before the U.S. Senate. And uh, we're talking about ivermectin. Ivermectin, a very non-controversial wonder, wonder medicine, off-label now, and very, very cheap. And before the pandemic in 2019, there was no controversy about it. Um, but because it threatened, because it's so cheap and so affordable, and uh, its use was pointed out to be so effective during the pandemic that uh, it rattled the narrative. It, it was kind of going, it's going to undermine the big profit motives of the big uh, pharma companies. And uh, Dr. Corey, ivermectin is a non-controversial drug. Can you just summarize, you know, th this wonder drug? It's so cheap. Um, yeah. Why should we pay attention to it? Yeah, so it's it's got such a cool origin story. So, you know, it was discovered in the early 70s by a Japanese uh, microbiologist named Satoshi Amura. And what he was doing was he was studying microorganisms and he was trying to collect um, uh, compounds that they would formulate and excrete, you know, to ward off other predators, right? So that's, you know, how a lot of organisms, they protect themselves. They have, you know, different poisons and things that they uh, secrete. And he was on a golf course one day taking soil samples and he brought it back to the lab. And they put, they found this uh, particular uh, bacterium. It's called now called Streptomyces avermectum because um, that's the mother compound. And they noticed that when they put it in a Petri dish exposed to parasites like worms, it killed all the worms. And so they got really interested in this because they saw very high efficacy. And then they purified it into something called ivermectin, which is uh, just safer, um, it was more tolerated. And they saw that it was a broad anti-parasite. And what's interesting is that was done in partnership with a scientist at Merck, right? So Merck, literally, what the scientists at Merck helped Amora uh, develop ivermectin, and it became, they noticed just how well tolerated it was. It had a really wide margin of dosing safety and just how effective it was. And one of the other really interesting things about this is that Merck, as I understand it, made the decision after its discovery that they weren't going to be able to make a lot of money on it because most of the places where parasites were endemic were like in very low and middle income countries. They couldn't make a lot of money. So they literally, this is the old Merck, not the new Merck. They literally decided to donate it for free to a WHO program. Again, the old WHO, you know, mm -hmm. before both of those had been captured by sociopaths and financial interests. But um, they started the Mechtazan program and they distributed widely where uh, two particular parasitic diseases were endemic. One is river blindness, where in communities where it was endemic, I mean, most adults over 40 were blind. Children used to lead them around by sticks and it eradicated and restored the sight to millions of people. 
or prevented the blindness in millions of people. And it also uh, treated uh, something called lymphatic filariasis, which is otherwise known as elephantiasis, right? Where you see those pictures of really swollen legs. And so it essentially eradicated two of the most disfiguring and damaging diseases known to humanity. And for that reason, Satoshi Mora and William Campbell at Merck won the Nobel Prize for its impacts in humans, like not horses. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, it really was, it's such a cool story. Now, I'll give you another little fun fact is that it was later discovered that the species of bacteria that Satoshi Mora found, that place in Japan is the only place in the world that bacteria has ever been identified. So wow. had Satoshi Mora been Guatemalan, Mexican, American, Canadian, he would have never discovered ivermectin. And so it's like this cool, like just odd coincidence. But, um, you know, and I, not to get off topic, but one of my favorite and most cherished gifts in the world is this monograph, which I got personally sent to me from Satoshi Amora, you know, uh, wow. you know, supporting and recommending my work. But this is a, a spectrograph of the actual bacterium that he found. And it, it's one wow. of my cherished possessions. But um, yeah, it's That's just terrific. a cool story. But the second chapter of Ivermectin, well, actually, there's three chapters. Second chapter is in 2012, 10 years ago, or now 12 years ago, they, you know, scientists started doing in vitro tests of ivermectin with viruses, and they found over 10 years prior to COVID that it stopped the replication of like, I think, 10 or 12 RNA viruses, Zika, West Nile, Dengue, influenza, HIV, um, I'm missing a couple others, but it was showing impacts as a broad antiviral. And then when it started to be using COVID, doctors saw immediately that it was literally turning people around. I mean, I, I turned people around in that first wave. I mean, it was almost fun because mm -hmm. if someone got to me, I'd get them on ivermectin. 12 to 24 hours later, I'd get a text. Dr. Corey, thank you so much. I feel better. My fever's gone. My chest mm -hmm. is lightened. And that you know, quickly. And I, oh, yeah. In, in the first wave. And after the first wave, I, I saw those responses more, more infrequently, but you could still see them. A lot of other times you'd put them on and it kind of just, they would definitely start to get better, but it was a little slow, more robust. But in that first wave, it was over and over again that people were just like, it, it was like, I could get away with just ivermectin in that first wave. In later variants like Delta, especially late phase Delta, Ivermectin mm -hmm. alone wasn't cutting it. I'd have to add a number of other therapies. If you guys are familiar with our protocols on flccc.net, you know, we have mm -hmm. second and third line. And I, I, I tell you, late phase Delta, which was October, November, December of 21, man, I was using first, second, and third line medications to get people through. I don't know why that was more wicked. And then Omicron, Omicron was just, oh, it was so much easier. Ever since Omicron came, which is January 22, I basically put everyone on ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. They all get through. It's I do sometimes see those really robust responses, but most of the time it's a little bit of a slower burn, but everyone gets better. No one goes to the hospital. So it's, it's you know, it's, it's clinical impacts have varied, but it's always been effective. Yeah. During the break, uh, I wanted to, um, I mentioned briefly uh, the fact that uh, I, I picked up uh, a year or two ago that uh, a lot of um Papers uh, 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 researched the use of ivermectin in treating cancers, and uh, it was astonishing the amount. Uh, uh, I was finding the amount of studies showing that it was very efficacious. You know, they are, the it's, idea it could be a cure for cancer. 
Um, well, Pierre, where do we go with this? <laughs> well, that's so you bring up the so yeah, let's talk about that positively. So the mechanisms of its anti-tumor properties, that's what most of the research has been. So it looks on paper like it has incredible mechanism. The clinical data for it is stunning, but it's only in terms of case reports and some case series. Um, so there's really no good, like a large, like kind of controlled trial of it. Although right now I'm involved with a group, uh, and we're doing a multi-center observational trial and we're using protocols with ivermectin and we're treating cancer patients. And that's also happening in other countries, Alan Landrito in the Philippines, um, who else? I think someone else down in uh, Brazil, another colleague. I know. So now we're exploring its anti-tumor properties. And I can tell you already, we've had like an incredible response. And I'll tell you, vet veterinarians know its anti-tumor properties very well because they've treated their animals who get cancer. They've seen the, the, the tumor shrink. And so, you know, we don't have the most robust data, but um, we already have good, you know, sort of uh, clinical experience uh, showing its efficacy. And we're, we're going to be compiling more and more data. But let me finish by saying that's another problem, right? Pharma knows everything, right? So they know, if they know ivermectin is really effective as an anti-tumor, and by the way, big cancer, that is an industry you do not mess with, right? Mm -hmm. So there's another reason to destroy ivermectin because it's going to threaten uh, cancer treatments, which is a big business. Yeah, I like the idea. I mean, for, for many years, doctors have been recommending the use of small dosage of aspirin as a preventative, you know, it, and I think that, that it, we may get to the point, you know, ivermectin is a prophylactic to, to so many ailments. Do you, do you think that will come one day? I I think that's a great thought, like whether you take it almost as a supplement. Um, mm. You know, I will tell you that for what I specialize in now, my practice focuses on um, treatment of long COVID and long vax. It's the same disease, just two different triggers. Um, I have over a thousand patients with me and my partner and 70% of our practice is long vax. I mean, these people are decimated with, you know, the, the other way of new names for the disease, the disease is an old disease. It's called um, myalgic encephalitis, chronic fatigue syndrome. That's yeah. what long COVID is. Long, it occurs way more with the vaccine. 70% of my practice is long vax. And one of the first line treatments is ivermectin. It's actually been really helpful. Um, I would say about 60 to 70% of my patients have a positive response to ivermectin. Is, this is long COVID, long vax. The response varies. Sometimes it's really large. Sometimes it's more modest. But the point I want to make is for those in whom it works, I have a few patients who've been on daily ivermectin now for over two years. Well tolerated. It's literally one of the safest medicines in the world. So that question you asked, because it has so much protective anti-tumor, antiviral um, um, benefits, can we see a day where you take ivermectin as a general supplement to support your health? I mean, those studies should be done, but I would tell you there's no harm in doing it um, that I no, can tell. No. Um, I've not seen any harms in chronic ivermectin use. No, the reason I, I wanted to throw that in there is because with HCQ, I, I remember, you know, back at the time, uh, Dr. Vernon Coleman over here in the UK was advocating that as a prophylactic and again, referred to the old tipple gin and tonic, you know, gin and tonic used by in the British Empire yeah. in India. For the, for the army, so we're going back 150 years of of, of, it, of these things being used for for beneficial purposes. Not uh, again. We could, if as you say, consider them almost as a, as a vitamin supplement. And, and when I take uh, tonic water, Indian tonic water every day, I, I don't know if it does me any good, but I, I feel better for taking it. 
And we're living in an age now where people do like the fact that, I mean, obviously insurance policies, health insurance policies going through the roof. Prevention is better than cure. You know, if you can't get the, the perfect diet, then some supplementation is not so bad, is it? No, not at all. Not at all. You know, I wanted to, um, I, I don't I don't mean to go backwards, but I do want to make a point because I think it's a really important point because, you know, I talked a lot about disinformation, how it's deployed, um, the forces which, like uh, you said, in coordination deploy them, you know, journals, agencies, media. But I want to just, you know, tell your listeners that the foundation of all of the disinformation, the most powerful weapon that they exerted to destroy our American, is at the level of the large randomized control trials and the high impact journals. Without those two, you could not do this disinformation campaign. And, mm -hmm. and so when you look at those tactics, the most powerful one is something called the fake. And the fake is really three actions. Conducting and designing trials with a predetermined result, that, and we have immense evidence, and I go through that in my book. I show how those big trials, it's, I call it the big six, because it was really six trials which changed the entire medical community's opinion, because they were presented as the, the largest, most rigorous, right, you know, published in the best journals. They were complete brazen frauds. They were done for predetermined results. At the same time, I have another chapter which shows dozens of rejection letters from those same journals from investigators with positive trials of ivermectin. So they selectively only publish positive and censor the, you know, only publish negative trials, censor the positive trials. And then I have another uh, a chapter about something they did in COVID, which is unprecedented in our careers, is that I passed peer review. My paper passed peer review and was supposed to be published. It was passed peer review, rigorous peer review, three senior scientists from the CDC and NIH that my editor had chosen, and then an expert clinician. They gave me a real tough time with the paper. It passed peer review, but the journal wouldn't publish it. And I finally raised a stake and I accused the journal that I suspected scientific misconduct. And within two days, they talked to my editor and they said they're retracting the paper. No accusation cool. of fraud or plagiarism. All they said was they brought in a third party anonymous reviewer who disagreed with the conclusions. That is such fraud. I've never, ever, you know, if you look at the collective publications of me and the, the other four guys in the FLCCC, I think it's somewhere over 1,500 peer-reviewed publications. None mm -hmm. of us have ever suffered a retraction. And this was a retraction in the most bizarre way. I mean, some anon I didn't get to see the review. And I also was not given an opportunity to revise. Because typically, if a peer reviewer has an issue, let's say with your conclusion, they want mm. you to soften it or put in more limitations or, you know, couch it more conservatively. Mm. They give you that opportunity to revise and they tell you why. I was never mm. given an opportunity to revise. I never knew, uh, I never saw the content of that analysis. But I just, I think it's important because a lot of your listeners will say, well, well, Corey says that it works, but this beautiful, shiny study from the New England Journal of Medicine clearly proves that it doesn't. I just encourage you to read my book because I very... I write it for the layperson, but I show very clearly why you have to ask, not ask. I show the brazen misconduct of those trials. They they were literally pharma-conflicted folks hired to produce that result. They're very good at what they do. They can tell you, they can prove to you something works. They can prove to you something doesn't work, and neither can be true, but they can have a trial in the best journal in the world to prove it. That's how bad it is. And that's, again, going back to our first discussion I never knew this. 
I never knew how deep and dark it got. I literally, my my understanding of pharmaceutical industry corruption before COVID, I kind of thought it relied on like the, um, especially in this country, like the really pretty and handsome drug reps who come in with their pens and they take you out to dinner and doctors go on trips. And I thought they were just kind of like, you know, kind of just marketing to doctors in really aggressive ways. That's what I thought their corruption was. And now I realize there are so many layers. It goes so, so deep that I'm an estra I'm estranged from science now. I do not know what to believe. I will tell you, I will never believe any paper where there are authors with immense pharmaceutical industry conflicts of interest. I cannot. I, I mean, I, I look, I start now when I read papers, I start with the conflicts and then I close the page and then I turn the page. You're listening to Dr. Pierre Corey. This is TNT Radio. People might tell you that Lyme doesn't kill people, but we are losing people. People disappear from their lives. One of the scariest things that I had to deal with was uh, memory loss. Not just like, I don't remember what I did last week, but like, I forgot all the words to my own songs. I remember going to my primary care physician and he was like, you are 100% healthy. There's nothing wrong with you. And my response was, that's impossible. I'm dying. I wasn't working. So I had all of these hospital bills. We had to move out of our home and move into my parents' basement. I just wish I could have truly been present in those big moments, you know, when she took her first steps or, you know, her first day of preschool. Lyme is such a thief and it goes undetected because no one is looking for it. For more information and prevention tips, go to projectlime.org. While serving in Afghanistan, I was hit by sniper fire. The fighting was so intense, the medevac chopper was barely able to land. In the hospital, I was given a 5% chance to live. It's a good thing math wasn't my best subject. Today, I visit classrooms and share my story. I talk to kids about dealing with life's struggles. I tell them, with a little help and a lot of work, that you can overcome any challenge. DAV helps veterans like Adam get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. I know that some struggles are big and some are small, but they're all struggles, and you have to learn to get through them. With support from DAV, more veterans like me can live their best life. And as a new father, I have one more reason to keep on keeping on. My victory is being there for the next generation. Adam Alexander, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Using science to debunk myths. From the pandemic to climate fraud. Thanks for listening to Sky Dragon Slaying on TNT Radio. Pierre, I, one of the things that we like to do um, is encourage people to do their own research. And, uh, you know, it's, it's fundamental to our work at Principia Scientific International that we, we do spend a lot of time researching on search engines, you know, it's just the way of the world right now. And uh, what we're noticing, you probably notice it yourself, is uh, just like the censorship in the media, there's becoming increased censorship of, of the World Wide Web. You know, search engines are now kind of removing content from the front pages, you know, from, from the top of the list. You know, back in the day, 10 years ago, I, I literally see millions of pages come up for, on a search, and now you might get like five five and and the narrative the, the content is very much uh keeping to one way of viewing things and 
it is getting harder and harder to do your own research. And uh, but the key today, I, I think most of us are finding is you you just can't trust the legacy media. You, and as yeah. you said yourself, you, you're on a journey like we are reassessing your worldview. Uh, there's kind of a paradigm shift going on. Do, do you see that yourself, a paradigm shift away from trusting so-called uh, uh, legacy media, legacy authorities? You know, do, do you think that's that's happening for, for, in reality? Well, well, one so I definitely for sure. I mean, I've I've never seen. I mean, I without overstating it, I really believe even in the United States. I'm sure the same as in, in Australia. But we are we are like it's totalitarian in terms of the control of information. I mean, you know, the Twitter files to me is pr- one of the biggest stories in modern American history, which is that it was discovered that our federal government, every single agency, not only the health agencies, defense agencies, intelligence agencies, were working through a central clearinghouse at Stanford University, which then was communicating to all the social media companies to take down platforms, take down tweets, shadow ban. So you had our government in concert with corporations censoring American speech everywhere, violating one of our constitutional amendments of which our country was built on. And so we don't live in America as it was designed anymore. And that's that's just one example. But you're absolutely right. You know, the corporations, they are censoring anything that's inconvenient. And, you know, the censoring tactics, I, I have a, a chapter on that in my book, you know, to me personally. I mean, the, the first thing that they do to, um, if you don't mind, I'll call myself a truth teller. At least I think of myself as one. But, you know, the biggest enemy of propaganda, which is disinformation, is the truth. So propagandists... The way they go after truth tellers is all they do is make you appear uncredible. That is a censoring tactic. So all of those hit jobs which came out, my Wikipedia page, which is manipulated, I've had people who've tried to correct it to make it factual. The corrections are reversed within 90 seconds. So Mm -hmm. you can't put truth on my Wikipedia page, but they just want me to appear uncredible so nobody listens to me, right? They're like, oh, that's that fringe doctor. And he says all this weird stuff. Oh, he's an anti-vaxxer, you know, all the things that they're going to do. But that's one form of assumption. But then also direct things like I've been shadow banned on Twitter until Elon Musk bought it. I've been shadow banned for six months, couldn't add a follower. I would put out tweets that very few people would see. Mm-hmm. Um, my organization, uh, PayPal dropped us. We couldn't get do- donations. Suddenly PayPal just said, Right out of the blue, dropped us. Uh, Newswire organizations that we're using to release press releases on some of our reports and analyses, they dropped us. Um, Shopify, where we were selling clothes, you know, for a nonprofit, you sell a little branded FLCCC clothes to try to get some uh, money for the organization. They dropped us. You know, um, uh, Vimeo, we had a a contract with them. They were very expensive to put all our videos, uh, lectures and webinars on Vimeo. They dropped us. So, I mean... Mm. And, and the crazy thing about it is that you see it, you know it, but censorship to me, to the average citizen, it's silent. They don't mm. know what it's going on. Mm. They think that they have access to all the information available they need to make decisions. They have no idea that they're seeing a very curated slice of, of information, and oftentimes it's false. And by Please. the way, that doesn't just apply to ivermectin. It's Ukraine, global warming. I and mean, you never get a nuanced, transparent exposure to all of the underlying science. All you hear are these preformed narratives. They want you to believe this. They want you to believe this about this, that about that. And it's it's literally mind control. I mean, they, they are manipulating uh, how we think and how we act. And your point They're before, com- I'll finish your point before about 
I don't know about the average intelligence, but I think the lack of critical thinking combined with a somehow retained in place implicit faith and trust in those institutions render people particularly susceptible to believing and acting in accordance with lies, completely mm -hmm. false information. These people running the uh, censorship uh, apparatus—they're—they're uh, they're basically complete losers with uh, totalitarian power. If you want to see how a complete loser behaves with power, that's—that's that's how they behave. They're—they're they're complete losers, and they simply can't stand other people to speak. And actually, I think that you know, in the context, especially of, of uh, ivermectin and what we're talking about, I think that the best way to characterize these people is that they are actually parasites. They're parasitical yeah. in nature. That's how a parasite would behave. It has to extract and steal from its host. And how can you steal wealth and the well-being and the health of your host? You lie to it. You can only lie to it. And that's what these people are engaged in constantly. They constantly have to lie to us. And they cannot stand. That makes them noetic parasites. parasites. They're parasites of the mind. And they cannot stand. So what's the antidote? What's the ivermectin? What's the antidote for noetic mental parasite it's truth and that's why they hate truth and that's why these losers have to censor the truth because they're parasites it just goes also perfectly to characterize these people as a bio biological but mental analog uh to to a biological parasite they are parasites and i really liked the story that you were telling us about your your personal story of your awakening uh regards to journals uh, scientific journals, peer review process. You know, John and I had a great discussion in the first hour about uh, climate science, and you know, mm. so you, you you described yourself as as a person who believed everything. I think it was the New York Times yeah. you you mentioned. Yeah, you believed everything yeah. they said. So yeah, I mean, just to connect it back to our first hour out of interest, sake. So what's your impression? You must have went from a person who believed in the cl climate change, global warming narrative. What's your opinion now? Oh, I think it's all a constructed narrative. I think the I think the Earth is warming, but it has nothing to do with what they want it to be about, which is CO two and all of these drastic measures. I mean, that's a narrative to propel an entire mm -hmm. campaign of nonsense and craziness. Uh, and so, I, I don't believe in, in in I don't believe in that narrative. I, but I do believe that the the Earth is probably warming, but that's natural and has always been that way. And you go through periods and not periods, but um, yeah, that's what I believe. So. I, so it's, it's part of my agnosticism. Like now, you know, I all I know what to believe is that what they're telling me is clearly either untrue or it's being done because they have a specific object. They want me to believe something, right? So the best definition of propaganda that I've ever heard is that it's a story or a message to get you to think or act in a certain way. Story mm -hmm. or a message to get you to think. So when I read stories, which is how I read newspapers, that's a story time, okay? It's like, what are the stories they're telling me today? So I'll read a story about Ukraine. And then I ask myself, what is this article getting me to believe about Ukraine? You know, and it's so clear, right? That the Russians are bad and you know, the Ukrainians are good and we need to support Ukraine. And, you know, it, and it's it's just a story and it's it's completely divorced from on the ground reality, what's really going on. Um, but they just want you to think and act in a certain way. And so now I, I don't look to, like you said, legacy or what I call corporate controlled media, CCM, because um, mm -hmm. it's just stories. They're just stories mm -hmm. that want me to think certain things. And and so all I can say is when I read that story, I'm like, okay, that's what they want me to think. But what's really going on? Because it's not what they're telling me. It's not what they're telling me. By definition, it's not what they're telling me. Mm -hmm.
when when you speak to your peers when you speak to those that are qualified and have, have gone through the hard journey you've gone through do you feel that, that there should be more of a, a move to to unite and bring about some kind of alternative um i mean we could i mean you're obviously you know key a key figure in um in the frontline covid critical care alliance you know and you know that obviously is very niche you know it's very niche but these are very wide issues aren't they of corruption and, and misdirection and, and I, I think that we've got to find a way to unite have a kind of a, a, a bigger push to uh, link up form alliances internationally to be able to break through and have an alternative way of doing it i mean obviously the search engines are you know, in, in the sway of, of the big corporations and also government, you know, the, the three letter agencies pretty much run all the so-called social media that we can see. Um, do you have any thoughts about oh, yeah. you know, where we might go on that? Well, I think I think that's happening. I think this, you know, just like I was talking about what's been exposed to me and what I've learned. Uh, I'm not alone. There's millions like me around who used to believe and trust certain things and now have come to know that we've been lied to and you know when we go back to that propaganda thing it's not only now that i know that major media you know censors and lies but in particular maybe, maybe more particular than censor it's how long has it been going on like censoring mm -hmm. has been going on for i mean we know that from like for instance the vietnam war right they censored mm -hmm. all negative reports of what was going on over there until but that back then you still had journalists right like real journalists mm -hmm. like who were willing to tell you the truth now it seems like they've captured all the journalists but going forward right I see, so in healthcare, like for instance, my organization, we're having a conference in two weeks in Phoenix, and we really are putting out a call to create a community, um, uh, you know, at our organization to bring together like-minded, awakened practitioners, health enthusiasts, lay people to come and, and, and just have a place to connect with honest medicine. And we're going to tell you the truth, unconflicted. We're not selling you anything. We're just trying to put out good information. And I, and I see that also with, uh, I know colleagues who have journals that were trying to do like a journal of repurposed drugs and, and just journals mm -hmm. completely free of pharmaceutical interest. And I think there's, there's a huge appetite for that. I mean, everywhere I go, people tell me they're terrified of going to the hospital. They don't want to mm -hmm. see their primary care provider anymore. Um, and so that's just in healthcare. I think there's a huge movement. I know of folks who are trying to construct hospitals uh, in a certain using a certain type of legal regulation, which would free it from that this top down totalitarian control of you know treatment and protocols. And so I do see a better way forward. And then in particular media, let's talk about what you guys are doing right now. For me, the antidote to all this stuff is the rise of independent media, independent and alternative media. You know, you don't get you know your your money from these uh, big you know corporate forces. Um, and what's interesting about that is the internet scares those who are in power because before mm -hmm. the internet their game was really easy to play now it's a lot harder because we have podcasts we have independent newscasters we have networks of people who can communicate you can get information out um tiktok is an interesting example i think tiktok they're trying to take it down here because tiktok you can get really interesting on the ground information from things happening around the world that you can't through other media. And so I think our best defense is the internet, the decentralized internet. And, and I think there's going to be a rise in, in alternative independent uh, media and podcasts. And that's where really where I would rely on getting my information. And then, and then I have like Corey's, my, I named it after myself, my checklist 
for who's telling the truth. <laughs> um, because, you know, based on our discussion, it's like, what are we left with? Who do we believe? Where do we get our information from? Right. And then it gets even more common because now you have AI, right? Where they can do any, they can show you any video to mm. get you believe anything. Right. So it's like, um, mm. but my my thing, like, especially with medicine, is that you want someone, first of all, who's expert in their field. Second of all, who's free of conflicts of interest. Maybe first is free of conflicts of interest, mm. yeah. expert in their field, willing to debate provides all of their data transparently and comprehensively, not a selected amount of data. You provide all of the data, those that support, those that conflict, you'd be willing to debate it. And then like fifth or sixth, and this is not an absolute requirement, but those of us who are willing to sacrifice our careers and our livelihoods and our lives to try to tell you the truth, I think mm -hmm. you should get extra points for someone who does that because yeah, uh, everything I've done uh, hurt me. And I wasn't mm. in the business of hurting myself. I liked succeeding mm. at things. And I had to sacrifice a lot to say the truths that I had to say. And, um, you know, I, I, those are the kind of people that you want to listen to. I'm not alone. I'm not saying I'm the only one. I, a lot of us have done that. And many people have suffered without the public uh, acknowledgments that I've received. I mean, I know doctors all around the country have lost their licenses and are, mm. are, are battling in, in court cases because they treated someone with ivermectin. And you don't even hear about those. And they're fighting on their own. And so, whereas I get the support of an organization, my, my nonprofit helps me. So, like, I've fared better in this in this war than most. Um, it hasn't mm. been easy, but uh, I've landed on my feet and I'm doing well now. But I can't say that for everybody. Yeah, I like what you just said there, because I personally think that what we should have is like an alternative to the Nobel Prize system where we, as you say, those the whistleblowers, those who sacrifice careers to, for the good of humanity, they really should be honoured. And, and I believe an international honour system you know, to rival the now corrupt, what widely seems corrupt Nobel Prize system would be one way of doing it with an annual uh, prize. You know, so, so there is a motivation there that, you know, there's something motivating those with, with a good character, th those who are prepared to blow the whistle and risk their careers. Because, again, uh, so many, I'm sure, but so many doctors, so many experts are on that, uh, the cusp of uh, coming out you know, they've got families and so forth. They, 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 they're afraid to risk everything. And, and my co colleague, Joe, Joe Postman here, he, he lost his career at the University of Calgary for speaking out on climate change. Again, you know, the sacrifices are real. You know, they're, they're real, they're long-term, they're harmful. And, uh, you know, we're like, you know, doing so much uh, for altruistic reasons. And uh, your good self and many others, uh, you know, you've, you've done the hard yards and th th there should be a new structure, a reward system, at least compensation system. Um, I know it's happening to a very small extent where you've got re uh, retractions for certain mandates. You know, people who've lost their jobs now are being rehired. You know, they're being compelled to be rehired for an unfair dismissal. And again, that will work its way very, very slowly through the legal process. Again, could take years. And obviously, in the meantime, you know, people are harmed beyond redemption. You know, if you've got a young child you've had to take out of school, those years are gone. Um, you know, so it's something that we have to revisit, isn't it? And, and, I, and I think, that again, what you're doing is, is, is very exemplary. And, uh, you know, I'm just so glad that there are, there are people like you who are prepared to, to you know, to do so much. Um so where do we go from now, Corey, uh, Dr. Corey? Where, where do you go now this year? What, uh, me personally? Or we, yeah, yeah. the big we? Well, you personally, I think, yeah. Oh, well, right now, i got to tell you, I'm just tilting windmills. I work so hard. I, 
I busy in my private practice treating, you know, a vaccine injury and long COVID. Um, I'm still running the FLCCC. We have a big conference coming up and um, I do a lot of work for them. Uh, and then I write on my Substack. I'm putting out lots of stuff on my Substack that I think is important. And uh, I'll make that last point, you know, in, towards like- Pierre, I hate system. to cut you off, Pierre. We've come right, we're now right out of time. But thank right, you thank so you. much yes, for being on TV Radio. Thank you. Pierre Corey, thank you very much. See you guys. Cheers. I really enjoyed that. <laughs>